Well, I know that we already greeted each other, but Central Kids, I was thinking that maybe we should introduce the adults to how we greet each other on Sundays, often at 9 a.m. Do you think they can handle it? Give me a thumbs up, Central Kids. You think they can? All right, adults, you might have some naysayers. They might not think you're up to it, but we believe that you can do it. Okay, everybody get ready. Sit up straight. Now, turn to the person next to you and say, I'm glad you're here. Now, turn to the person on the other side of you and say, I'm glad you're here. And now we're all going to look at the camera right there for our online friends. And on the count of three, we're going to say, I'm glad you're here. One, two, three. I'm glad you're here. We are so glad to have all of you here together, um, both online and in the room. Now, Central Kids, we have been memorizing Luke 2.10, and I thought that we could say it together this morning. Now, I've put it up on the screen so the adults can follow along as well. Can we say it together? But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Well, we needed to include that this morning because it's such an important Christmas passage, but we're actually gonna be looking at a different scripture today. Um, Let's turn to Matthew 1, 1. We're chapter one, where we see the line of Jesus's family from Abraham to Jesus. Now, I have three kids who said they would come and help me with a visual up here. Destiny, Caleb, Dawson, can you come on up? And for each name that we read in chapter in Matthew chapter one, they're going to pull out a nesting doll so that we can have a visual for how long, how many people were in Jesus's family line from Abraham to Jesus, okay? And um, this is an object lesson that doesn't just have the kids doing the work, but also has audience participation. So as we read Matthew chapter one up there, as we read the first, as I go like this, we're gonna read the name on the left side, okay? And as they do, as we do that, they're going to know to pull out another nesting doll. All right. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Yep, keep going. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. All right. Let's give our kids a great hand clap. Good job. You guys can have a seat. Good job. Oh, we still have some generations coming through. 
But this is a picture of how many people were in the family line from Jesus to Abraham. And one of the themes of the Old Testament is the promise that God gave to Abraham that his family would be as numerous as the stars before Abraham could see any of this family that was coming. Good job. God keeps his promises, doesn't he? Today in this family service, I thought that we could talk about family. We see from the very beginning with Adam and Eve that family was knit into the identity of creation. With each part that God creates, he looks back and says, oh, that's good. When he looks back on everything that he creates, he says, oh, that's very good. But in Genesis 2.18, God makes a powerful statement over humanity when he says that it is not good for man to be alone. God creates Eve and the first family is made. As we go through the Old Testament, we read prophecies about the coming Messiah, about what, his, what he would do. He would proclaim good news to the poor, bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim freedom for the captives, and we see prophecies about who his family would be. God's plan for the Messiah included a family. God declared that the Messiah would have a father and a mother, and he would be part of a family. Many of the stories in the Old Testament are the people in Jesus' family line, peoples whose names that we read in Matthew 1. And some of those names are people that I might not have expected to be in Jesus' family line, people who made choices that harmed themselves, that harmed the people who really loved them. We see Judah, whose idea it was to sell his brother Joseph into slavery. In the 14 generations between David and the exile, Kings led Israel into idol worship and things that were so opposite to God's heart. They did things that are not even appropriate to talk about in a family service. We also read Rahab's name, who had a rough life and then turned and transformed her life and her children's lives for the better. Jesus' family wasn't perfect. Does that feel kind of good to acknowledge? Probably because our families aren't perfect. And I don't even need to explain that sentence because our minds can just fill in all the ways that our family isn't perfect, right? And we don't even have to say amen out loud right now, particularly this section right here where my children are sitting. Yep, we can just hold those amens right inside. But even though people aren't perfect, we desperately need the presence of family. When we say family, we mean the generations, great-grandparents, grandparents, parents, uncles, aunts, uncles, nieces, nephews, sons, daughters, cousins. These are titles that don't have to be earned. They are gifted upon us because who we are is valued and loved. Those titles are for those adopted into them, born into them, grafted into them by nearness and time. We're talking about friends who become family, we don't have to come from the same blood of people to declare, these are my people. We're also surrounded by a church family today. Jesus gives us such a beautiful model of embracing a group of people as a church family. As Jesus traveled and preached and served, he didn't do it alone. He chose 12 men from different backgrounds and different perspectives and ages to become the first example of a church family. 
throughout the Gospels, we can see how deeply Jesus loved the disciples and how he called to them, he called them family. The Gospels also tell us about deep family-like relationships that Jesus had with sisters Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus, spending time with them as he taught them. I'm thankful for the church family surrounding us today. I truly believe in our core value of linked arms, that we are stronger together. My family and my church family are the people who love me the most, even when I'm not at my best. They're the people who pray for me for weeks and weeks when I'm having neck surgery and send messages and cards week after week through my family, letting me know that I am not alone. My family and my church family are the people who surround me when I'm scared and make me feel safe even though the world isn't. They're the people who see and accept the parts of myself that I shield from others. And they're the people who have a history with me because they've stuck around in the good times and through the hardest. That's the big picture of family. And yet, there are going to be days, there are going to be times that our family lets us down. I'm gonna say something that disappoints or hurts my kids. We're going to do something that hurts or disappoints the people that we love. And Yet, if we know that family is so important, and we know that we won't be perfect, and they won't be perfect, where does that leave us? Where do we set our hope? When we look at the Bible, we can see a very clear truth. As I follow Jesus, I love and serve people in my life well. Now, we see and hear a lot about math and physics from this pulpit, don't we? So I thought that maybe we could do a little language arts. Do I have some English people in the room? Should we shout out something that uses an adverb correctly? Oh yeah. So we're gonna go back to our days of diagramming a sentence. So our main independent clause in this sentence is, I love and serve people in my life well. I is our subject. Love and serve is our compound verb. Our verbs are action words, right? And then people is our direct object with in my life is a prepositional phrase modifying people. But the most important modifier in that sentence is the subordinate clause as I follow Jesus. And you'll notice that the verb follow is directly linked to the verbs of love and serve. That's true in the diagram, and it's also true in life. Following Jesus is an action that requires intention and energy. Following Jesus actively and with purpose links directly to our daily actions of being able to love and serve the people in our lives well. As I spend time talking to Jesus, as I spend time with him in his word, he fills me up so that when I'm loving and serving people, I'm serving out of excess rather than emptiness. As I invite the Holy Spirit to transform me day by day, I'm becoming bit by bit more like Jesus. And that's the person that I want to be. That's the person my family needs me to be. In Central Kids, when we're thinking about how a Bible truth applies to our lives, I often talk about how it applies in their families because that's where they are right now. 
I want our central kids to know that before God sends us out to be a missionary, showing God's love to the crowds, he calls us to be a kind brother or sister or cousin. And he calls us to do things that can feel big and be in front of others. And he also asks us to be faithful in helping our parents unload the dishwasher. Oh, we can say that amen out loud, yep. Where has God placed you right now? If your circle of family is far away, how can you love them well from afar? And who are others that God has placed right around you that you can love well? It was six years ago today that my daughter Eleanor developed one of the sweetest friendships of her childhood. Um, She and I were walking out right here past one of the benches after the Christmas Eve service, and there was a lady sitting on a bench just Her eyes were twinkling, and because she was sitting down, she was at eye level with my little girl. Eleanor was four at the time. Um, So she smiled and gave the, the sweetest greeting, and so we stopped and talked with her. We discovered that her name was also Eleanor. It was Eleanor Oakes, our own Beth Grant's sweet mother, and Miss Eleanor is here today. So Miss Eleanor, as we started talking to her, I could see that God's love just oozed out of her. She, it, was clear that she, it was clear to me that she had actively been following Jesus for so many years, becoming more like Jesus. So after we said goodbye to her months later at home, my daughter, Eleanor, said, you know my friend Eleanor? And my mind started flipping through all the little girls in her class and not coming up with an Eleanor. And she said, you know, my friend with the puffy hair. And I remembered sweet Miss Eleanor. Now, Miss Eleanor didn't know this part, but my grandmother's passed and Carter's grandmother's passed long before, before she was a baby. And I realized that her friendship with her was filling a great-grandmother role for my little Eleanor. So in the years that followed, we would go and see Miss Eleanor on that bench after church on Sundays until Miss Eleanor moved away. And then, uh, because friends do invite each other to their birthday parties, earlier this year, I got to be Eleanor's plus one at Eleanor's 100th birthday party. And this was all because a beautiful lady with puffy hair decided to wait for her family instead of being impatient She just chose to show love to a little girl. Before we go further, I know that there are some of you in this room who carry significant pain regarding family. Because family is such a gut basic need for us, family holds the possibility of deepest pain. We can have pain because a family member isn't present and the hole left in our heart echoes with silence. We can have pain because a family member is present and their choices are like those in Jesus' family line who hurt themselves and deeply hurt those who loved them most. For those of you facing painful family situations, we want to stand with you as your church family. We want you to know that you are not alone, that God sees and cares, and we want to be people who are used by God to help fill in any empty spaces in each other's lives. The first step to loving and serving our people is to be there. Teenagers, your families need you engaged in family life. 
We need you engaged in church life. And parents and adults, our kids and teens need us showing up for them again and again and again and again, even if there are times that they don't act like they want us there. We need grandparent figures and aunt and uncle figures, whether you're blood-related or not, who show us that we are loved simply because of who we are, because we're important to them and we're important to God. If your family is far away, send a text, send a card. If you're in the online service, say hello in the chat. Our church family needs all of us, here in the room and online, actively showing up, greeting each other, developing friendships, and serving the other generations. Wouldn't it be beautiful if every central kid had a friend like Miss Eleanor? Pastor Josh, you can come back up to the piano. This Christmas Eve, I want to encourage all of us to open our hearts to Jesus in all of the situations that we face and the emotions that we feel with our family. On this earth, Jesus experienced all of the deepest emotions as he interacted with family and friends who became family. He laughed until he cried. He experienced true joy. He also experienced frustration, and he experienced pain. One of those moments is in John 11. Lazarus has died, and both Mary and Martha come out separately to meet him, but have the same accusing words. If you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. The Bible tells us that Jesus sees their tears and is deeply moved in spirit and is troubled. And then we see John 11:35, the shortest verse in the Bible, sharing that Jesus wept. Jesus can handle our accusing words and our anger. He listens to our cries of disappointment. Psalm 34, 18 promises the Lord draws close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. Jesus experienced the pain of losing his own father, Joseph, most likely between his teenage and adult years. In Luke 19, 26, as Jesus is hanging on the cross, his body overwhelmed and dying, his focus turns to his mother standing with a group of his dear friends nearby and he wants to make sure that she is taken care of. He says to her, dear woman, and he looks at his beloved and faithful disciple John and says, this is your son now, and this is your mother. God put an exclamation point on the importance of family at the beginning of Jesus's life and in the final moments on, his, on the earth. The story of Jesus coming to the earth is the ultimate example of the creator bending low to meet us right where we are, but I am so thankful that Jesus didn't leave me where he met me. Jesus reaches out his hand and brings us into hope. I have a dear friend whose family situation is very difficult. Her father decided to follow Jesus as an adult, but his habits were very slow and changing, and it just created a very difficult situation for her. After years of struggling with this, of it being painful, she told me one day that God gave her a vision of her family seated around a table in heaven laughing. And it was God's promise to her that even if things in this life remain hard, we have a blessed hope that one day all will be perfect, including our family of believers. 
And for our family members who are not believers, that's why we continue following Jesus, asking for his wisdom and how we can love and serve the people in our lives well and in healthy ways. I'm so grateful for a God who listens and hears, but then whispers truth and goodness beyond what my human eyes can see at the moment. He lifts us out of the pit and places us on solid ground. He declares goodness over our lives, even when we turn away from him again and again and again. And he says this about his kingdom family. John 1, 9 through 13. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, or, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Wherever you are, whether you've been serving God for so many years, like Miss Eleanor, or you felt stuck in sin, hurting those around you and hurting yourself, you can have an esteemed place in God's family. You are loved, you are purchased with a price that Jesus paid on Calvary, and you are worth it to your Creator. As we follow Him, turning to Him in our joy and our pain, we will see that He has a good plan in how we can love and serve people in our lives well.